Now we've been working our way through through the life of Abraham and, and how uh, God uses him to, to show us the life of faith. And, and we have run on to his nephew who left the Ur of the Chaldees with him and his, and Abe's father. And, uh, and every time we encounter Lot, we're, it's very impressive. Not favorably, but it's very impressive. Still, you know, all the things that we know about Lot and the things that we're going to talk about today make it kind of difficult for us to call him righteous. But Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, called Lot righteous, a preacher of righteousness in 2 Peter 2, 7. And so we have to have to understand some things about righteousness up front. Apparently, our righteousness is not based upon our work. We're not saved by our works, but we're saved by the grace of God. He sees us, he loves us, he calls us, he saves us, he gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If Lot was righteous, then what he had was the righteousness of Jesus Christ, because there is no other. So, righteous Lot. And we can see that, that we will see that as God works around and through or works out his plan uh, he is he's teaching Abraham how to walk the walk of faith and, and some of that in you know that some of that faith you know, is in in the context of what God is doing with Lot and God is conforming Abraham to his character through what's happening because you know that if, if you had a nephew like Lot who followed you to this new land and then he said, my people don't like your people and there's not enough room here for all of us. And, and you know, and it, like you brought him here and you would say, well, Lot, how sad for you. There's an ocean out there. Go over there. But he didn't. Instead, he gave him his choice and Lot chose the, the pretty land and chose the big city. And God is still working through Abraham to take care of this nephew. So God must be doing something in Abraham's heart. And then after all that, we see how God uses Abraham to, to protect Lot. We see Abraham in action for himself. And we see that the war that we battle here on earth is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. And Abraham, it's always been the same thing. Even before the cross, Abraham, being a descendant of Adam, has had to deal with that, that war. Uh, and he's won some battles at this point, and he's going to win some, but he doesn't win them all. So let's start with, with God coming to dinner. Chapter 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, Oh, Lord. Now, that's not Lord as in God, but Sir, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Now, we're going to see God work in Abraham and really bless him as a result of this. But we can also see that God has already blessed Abraham and changed his character from someone who was, who was interested in himself. And Abraham never has demonstrated that a lot, except for in, in regards to his wife when he goes to a foreign land. We're going to see that again. 
But, but Abraham is, is here, he's demonstrating the grace of God. And he's demonstrating the grace of God by how he handles his groceries. You know, we have a pit bull. She's a great dog. And, and I wouldn't worry about her with anybody unless that anybody was trying to get between her and her food. <laughs> and that's the way some people are too. I love you, but don't mess with my food. Now, Abraham does not have that attitude because he says, Look here, y'all, come on in and, and let me get you some water to wash your feet. And you rest a little while, and I'll bring you some bread, and you refresh yourself, and we will have a feast. The Lord appears here. There, it says there are three men. As far as, as Abraham knows, it's just three men. And that makes it more impressive to me. Now, if, if, if God appeared there and looked like whatever God looks like, and Abraham knew that, then he would want to put on a show, right? Oh let, let, oh, let me impress you, Lord. Let me show you how holy I am, how good I am, how generous I am, how I want to comfort you. I want, to, I want everybody to know who you are. But he doesn't know that this is God and two angels. Now, some people, some commentators, excuse me, some commentators say that this represents the Holy Spirit, but there's no reason to, I mean, the, the Trinity, there's no reason to suspect that because... When when two when two go on to uh, to Sodom and then two angels appear at Sodom, we can assume those, assume those are the same two people. And when those two leave, we're going to see that God is still there talking to Abraham. So we can say this is God and two angels. But Abraham doesn't know that at this point. He is just being hospitable. This is the Lord God in, 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 in a, a visible appearance, and that's what we call a theophany, an appearance of God. It, it's, so we could say this is the second person of the Trinity because he's the only one who's ever been seen. Nobody knows what God looks like. Or the second person of the Godhead is, is more scriptural. All right? So now, I, I, I notice Abraham's attitude here. Now, how old is Abraham? Well, he's getting close to 100 because Isaac's going to be born when he is 100. So he's about, we can say he's 99, 95. It doesn't matter, you know. When you get to, to 95, the difference in 95 and 100 ain't nothing. Right? If you are 95, congratulations. I challenge you to function like Abraham did. When he saw these guys, it says that he ran. He ran. This old man is running. He, he went quickly. Verse 6 says he went quickly into the tent. Uh, up in verse 2 it says he ran from the tent to meet these people. Down in verse 7 it says he ran to the herd and took a calf. Now he's been taking his vitamins. He's been eating right. Apparently. But more than that, what he is is hospitable. And, and, and Hebrews 13 tells us... Do not forget to be hospitable because by so, by, by such action, some have entertained angels. And that's what, what Abraham winds up doing here, entertaining angels and the Lord himself in, in a visible form. And what he does, he not only does it rapidly, but he does it generously. You see that? And Sarah as well, because he goes to, to verse 6, he goes into the tent to Sarah and he says, Quick, uh, three sayers of, of flour, fine flour, knead it, make cakes. And it's, it doesn't say that Sarah turned that over to anybody else. Sarah did that. 
Okay, now she's getting on up there too. These are people who are hospitable. These are people who who give and are anxious to do it. And then Abraham went into to his herd and he picked out a calf. And what kind of calf did he pick out? Verse 7. Tender and good. He didn't pick out some cub. He picked out something that was going to be great fare for those that he was entertaining. Because he's generous. He gives his best. That's what hospitality is about. That's the aim of hospitality. Now don't watch me and expect to see that up to this point. But from this point on, you come to my house, I'll give you the best cap I got. <laughs> now how could he do this? Well, remember, a lot of the story of Abraham revolves around covenants. God makes a covenant with him a while back when he says, when Abraham says, uh, you know, God says, I'm going to be your, your shield, I'm going to be your reward. And Abraham said, a shield and a reward. That's great, I appreciate that, but I don't have any, anyone to pass on my, and my inheritance to except a slave and his, his offspring. God says, look at the stars. If you can count them, look at the Milky Way. If you can separate all those stars out and count them, then you'll be able to count your descendants. But I will make a covenant with you. You bring these items together. You prepare them. You bring these items. He prepared them naturally because he understood what a covenant was, what a contract was. He laid them out. And you remember who signed this deal? Only God did. Remember, God walked between those divided parts of, of the calf and, and, and walked through the dove, all that. Because God is the one who made this covenant apart from Abraham at the time. Abraham was, was in some kind of a trance and, or, or sleep, having a vision, and he was afraid. He was shocked at what was going on. But there's a covenant. And then God gave him the covenant of circumcision. He says, I want you to be separate from the rest of the world. It's all about covenant. And what he requires of, of Abraham, it, it's not, well, it, it, the picture of circumcision is kind of a picture of it. Because he says, I want you to give me everything. Just like he says in, in the New Testament in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you by the mercy of God that you present your body as a living sacrifice. That's always been God's rule. That for those who are going to follow him are going to have to follow him 100%. Present yourself a living sacrifice. And so to us, he says, you hurry up to show your love for God. You hurry up to show your love for those who are the image bearers of God. You hurry up to show and, and serve those around you. And you do it personally. And uh, we used to say that, that if, you, uh, if you ask somebody for $50, and if they were, or you ask somebody for, for, for some help, well, the, a, a Baptist would always say, well, I need to pray about it. But if you ask a Methodist for help, he'd say, let me just give you $50. Now, both of those are, are appropriate to give and to pray. And God wants us to be generous and God wants us to, to be involved personally. And so he calls us personally to do ministry where we are. Now, that doesn't mean he calls everybody to be a preacher. Doesn't mean he calls everybody to be a deacon, but he calls everybody to be involved in ministry because what God is doing is showing himself to the world, showing Jesus Christ to the world. And we are to be involved in that, and we are to do it expeditiously. We are to do it 
in a hurry. We are to do it in, in a way that involves us personally. Now, I think it's impressive that, that Abraham goes into the herd and picks out this special calf because we know that Abraham had at least 318 servants because he took them on a, on a, a tour of battle with him, remember? When they beat the kings of, that had come and, and taken over Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? But he does it personally. He gave his best. He gave his best to strangers, not people that he knew deserved it. He's being like God. See, God gives us his best, and God gives us what is good and and what is tender, not because we deserve it, even though he knows us and he knows that we don't deserve it. He still gives himself. Jesus gave himself for us. And so Abraham is operating like that because he's demonstrating the character of God. In, in Revelation 3.20, we often use this, this verse for, for an invitation to come to the gospel. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will open, I'll come in and sup with him. That's not really talking about coming to know him as Lord and Savior. That's talking to Christians, to those who, who know him as Lord and Savior. The church at Sardis, and he says, it, or, I'm sorry, it's not the church at Sardis at this point. It's, it's a church of Laodicea. And he says, you've gotten, you know, You've gotten lukewarm, but I'm standing here, and if you will invite me in, I will come to you and sup with you. And the Lord is standing here at Abraham's door, and Abraham says, come on in and let me get everything ready for you. So we see pictures of the New Testament here in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Now, why... Was Abraham so interested in these strangers? Did he think, well, maybe if I entertain them, I'll be rich? He's already rich. That can't be it. Did, did he think that, that if, if, I, if I do something, then, then they will maybe not hurt me? He's not worried. He's got 318 guys that can whoop up on five kings. Did he know it was God? Did he know that it was the Lord? Well, not at first. But even if he had known it was the Lord, he couldn't have done any more. He treated these strangers that he didn't know, that he thought was just regular men, or just regular men. He treated them as he would have treated the Lord. He gave his best. Now, when did he know that it was the Lord? Well, if we read on, this one of the people... Oh, did y'all notice what the, what the menu was? I just think that's interesting. Seven, he had this tender and good calf. And then eight, he, they had cottage cheese, curds, and milk. And that calf was prepared. So it was, ooh, you vegetarian, shame on you. <laughs> wow. And this chance, he just gave him some, some good dairy products and some food. But now, how does he find out that this is God? Well, he, down in verse 10, it says, The Lord says, Surely I'm going to return about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, we know that it's the Lord, verse 10. Abraham may not know that just yet. But I'm going to return about this time next year, and, and Sarah, your wife, is going to have a son. And Sarah was listening at the door behind him. Now, that's, that's pretty godly right there to say, This is what's going to happen next year about this time. That's a hint. 
And then, as, as he tells us this, this story, uh, it, it, verse 11 gives us a little information that we already know because we know, know Abraham and Sarah by this point. They were old, advanced in year, the way, and, and Sarah was in the way of women that had ceased, or the way of women had ceased from her. She, she's, she's been sterile and still is, and now she's too old to even have any hope. And verse 12 says, she laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Without that being audible, why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? That's a hint. When God lets us know that he knows stuff, that's a hint to let us know that he is paying attention to us. When you read through the scripture and you come upon something that was written written millennia ago and it just speaks to your heart and your situation, you know that God's speaking to you through his word. So Abraham is he's now getting the, getting the picture. He, he asks, where is Sarah? No, no that's another, another interesting thing. In verse 9 he says, where is Sarah? How long has Sarah been named Sarah? Not very long. She was named Sarah. But God changed her name when he changed Abraham's name. And this one who speaks of her speaks of her as Sarah. That's a hint. So God is just revealing himself to Abraham. God doesn't play hide and seek with us. God doesn't make us search for him. But if we do search for him, we'll find him. If we seek him with all our heart, we'll find him. But he's standing out in the open. A lot of times when we say we're looking for God, we're just looking for a God who's like us. So he he lets Abraham know that, that he is him. And, and, and he is God, the Lord. Sarah laughs. Now, just a little comment about Sarah's laugh. Was Sarah's laugh the same as Abraham's laugh back in chapter 17? Chapter 17, the Lord says that, that he's going to make Abraham a father by Sarah. And Abraham falls on his face and laughs. Now, here's the difference. Abraham fell on his face. He was worshiping God. He was, he was excited about it. It, it was a, a, a laugh of, of joy. And when Sarah laughs, she's saying, ain't no way. He has got the wrong address. Has us mixed up with someone else. She has a laugh. Her laugh is a laugh of doubt. Whereas Abraham's was a laugh of celebration. But, here's good news. We go over to Hebrews chapter 11, the New, New Testament. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it calls Sarah a woman of faith. Let me get there. Sarah, verse 11, by faith, verse 11, chapter 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Okay, she messed up. She laughed. She said, no, nah, that's not how God does. That's not, that's not what I expect of God. That's not going to happen. Nobody is that godly. Nobody is that much God. This is just totally impossible. But apparently, him revealing her, himself... Say, I know you laughed, even though she denied that she laughed. Something must have changed because chapter 11, verse 11 says, By faith, Sarah received the power to conceive. Now, there's another thing, too, that shows up. 
Now over in, in, in 1 Peter, which is to the right if you're in, in Hebrews, go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. And in verse 5 and 6 it says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. You know what Sarah did? She said, there's no way that I can have a child, but God has promised it, and so I am going to do what someone who is looking to have a child does. And she submitted herself to her old husband. Her old self, she submitted to her old husband because God had shown himself to them. God had revealed himself. And God said, this is the promise to you too. You will have a child. You'll bear a child. And his descendants will be innumerable. And so I'm saying that something happened in Sarah, even though she laughed in denial, God worked in her to change her heart. And she did what she needed to do to glorify God. Now, so that's that story. We're just kind of picking some stories here. Now, as, as the meal is over and they've had a time to, to sit and enjoy one another, we get a little, a little insight in, into what's going on, meanwhile, back at their, their ranch. Over in chapter 19, God is going to deliver Lot from Sodom. We're going to, and I, I want to just make sure I don't forget because I made this note after I made my notes. Watch how... Lot responds to God as opposed to how Abraham responds to God. So, back in, in 18, God has promised this child. He has said, nothing is too hard for me at the appointed time you're going to have a son. And then, he says, shall I, verse 17, chapter 18, the Lord said, shall I, says this to himself, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Prayer, what, what we're going to see is we're going to see Abraham prayer, pray. But I want you to see where that prayer begins. And that's in verse 17. Shall I hide anything from Abraham? Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed in him, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. He reveals... His activity. God reveals what he is doing and what he's fixing to do. Y'all understand fixing? What he's going to do to Abraham. Now, he doesn't have to do that. God's God and he doesn't have to tell anybody anything. But you know what he wants? He wants Abraham involved in what he's doing. And so as God reveals his activity, he says, Look here, Abraham has been chosen to bless the nations. Abraham has been chosen to walk in the ways of the Lord and command his children, teach his children to keep the ways of the Lord so that I can do what I have promised to him. Now, when people talk, some people talk about praying in faith. They are saying, well, I feel like I need to climb out on this limb. 
And so I'm going to scoot way out on this limb, and then by faith I'm going to be praying to God that nobody comes along and cuts the limb off. Well, here's how prayer, how prayer of faith really works. God shows you that you need to get out on the limb, and then God says, I'm going to take care of you out there on the limb. And you don't have to be praying that nobody cuts the limb off if God sends you out there. Now, when God sends you out there, you're in a safe place. That doesn't mean you're in a comfortable place. Have you ever been deer hunting in a tree, sitting in a tree waiting for deer? You know, it's exciting for a while, and then you sit there for an hour or two and nothing shows up, and then you may even say, well, it's time to go home, but you get down and find out you don't have legs anymore. They don't operate because you've been sitting on a limb. They're all asleep and stuff. Sitting on a tree and sitting on a limb is never, probably never going to be comfortable, but it can be a safe place if God sends you out on that limb. So what God is doing here is he's drawing, drawing Abraham into this work that he's going to do, and, and in effect, he's kind of giving opportunity, Abraham an opportunity to get out on the limb because he's saying, this is what I'm going to do. The Lord says, verse 20, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, because it's great, their sin is very grave, I'm going to go down to see what, whether they have done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. Now, God doesn't say he really doesn't know what's going on down there. But so that Abraham will understand that he's going to go over and, and, and convict these people of their sin. And he says, I will know. He already knows. He still will know. But he's telling Abraham this because he wants to draw Abraham into what he's doing. So when we get down, down here to where Abraham is, is interceding, and he starts by saying, well, if there are 50 people, surely you wouldn't destroy the righteous, 50 righteous with, with the unrighteous. And God says, no, I wouldn't destroy it if there are 50 there. And then he says, well, what about 45? No, I won't destroy them if, if there's 45. What if there's what if there's forty? Not for forty. What if there are thirty? What if there's twenty? What if there's ten? Sometimes people think that that Abraham is really going out on a limb, but I submit to you that God has sent him out on the limb. That God has said, "This is what I'm fixing to do, Abraham. What are you going to do? How are you going to be involved with me?" And Abraham says, "I am going to intercede for the righteous." Because I know I have a, a nephew over there. Now, he doesn't look righteous, but God has brought us together and brought us here to this point. And God has claimed him, apparently, chosen him. I'm going to pray for him. And he gets down to ten. And you notice who stopped the prayer? Get down to, look, look to verse 32. Chapter 18. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. Verse 33, and the Lord went his way. You know who ended the prayer? God did. Who started the prayer? God did. He invited Abraham to pray. If you ever feel the compulsion to pray to the Lord for the Lord's glory, you can be sure that that motivation comes from the Lord. The devil doesn't want you praying for God's glory. Matter of fact, if you ever feel, you, you, you can just know that if you have an urge to prayer, it to pray, it comes from God. God wants us involved in what He's doing. That's why we talk about on Wednesday when we go through our prayer list. I always thank God for allowing us to be involved with these people that He is working with, some that we don't even know, but He has brought their name to our attention and gives us the opportunity to be involved in what He's doing by praying for these that He brought to us. 
So God starts his prayer, and I'm going to say that God leads his prayer and leads him from 50 people down to 10 people. Now, now I'm, I, Abraham is probably thinking he's on his own. Probably thinking he's coming up with these ideas. He's probably thinking that if I can get if I can get him down to a small enough number, I know that that Lot is there. He has a wife. He has at least two daughters, probably more. We know he has more because a couple of them were, or some of them were married because he goes to their their husbands, his sons-in-law, and and encourages them to get out. So Abraham's thinking, well, there may be six people in this family, and surely Lot, a preacher of righteousness, has led some more to the Lord, and so ten is probably enough. Lord, how about ten? And God says, that's enough of prayer at this time. And that would be enough to save the whole city. God allows his children to help. We have one grandchild in particular, one grandson who loves to work. He wrote me a note one time said, I thank Grandpa. I'm thankful for Grandpa because he lets me work with him. Y'all, it is a blessing. It is a privilege to work with the Lord. And when he invites you to pray, it is a privilege to pray. Whether it's for others or for yourself, to speak to him. He involves you in what he's doing. He lets his children and his grandchildren. Well, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He lets his children. Some people think God has grandchildren. Some people think they're saved because their mama was saved. But if you have not had a personal experience with Jesus Christ, personal one-on-one between you and him, not between you and your mama and him, you are not saved. God doesn't have grandchildren. But God has children, and he lets his children help him, work with him. As, we, as God leads Abraham through this prayer, another thing I see is, is the compassion of God displayed in Abraham as he prays. God, what if, what if there are righteous people there? You, you wouldn't do them wrong, would you, would you? Wouldn't you save the whole city? Abraham really wants to see the whole city preserved so that they have a chance to come to know the Lord. He really wants to protect those who are following the Lord. And so in his compassion, he lifts up his prayer to the Lord because God is compassionate. Those who follow him are going to be compassionate. And even when he gets down to 10 and the Lord says, that's enough, I'm going now. It appears to me that Abraham is at peace. It's not going to turn out the way that he prayed, but he's at peace that God is involved, that God is in charge. At verse 33, and the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. He didn't stay there. He didn't chase after him. He didn't holler at him. He stayed where he was. Well, actually, he went back home in peace. When we cooperate with God, when we work with him through whatever he calls us to do, we can rest in peace. That's Philippians chapter 4. I want to read it so I don't hack it up. Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's what God offers us. That's what he gave to Abraham. That's what he gives to us. Now, there's one more thing I want to say about this prayer. 
and, and that's in chapter 19. After Sodom is is uh, is destroyed, or after God is committed to do it, verse twenty nine. And so it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley. God remembered Abraham. God remembered Abraham. Now God hadn't forgotten Abraham, but when it talks about remembering him, it's like God focuses on him for a moment, a special kind of focus, because Abraham has been involved in this, and, and it showed his compassion, the compassion of God in praying for them. And Lot, he remembered Abraham, and the benefit of him remembering Abraham is that Lot was, was delivered from the cities that were overthrown. Now, the Lot thing, let me just make this comment. You know how, how Lot turned out. Some of his daughters who were married, they didn't come out. His two daughters who were, who, were, who were virgins came out with him. His wife came out with him. But the Lord said, when you, when you leave, don't, don't pause, don't look back. But his wife wound up looking back. and She was destroyed along with the city. And then when they get to where they're going, his young daughters say, well, there's not any men around here, so let's make sure that we have offspring. Let's go into our father. Let's get him drunk. And so the oldest one went in first and laid with him, and he didn't even know it. He was so drunk. The next day, she went to her younger sister and said, Now you do it too. And so she went into him, and, and the offspring of those were the, the enemies of Israel for forever, the, the tribe of Moab and the tribe of the Ammonites. Now what that says to me about that Lot is that Lot has been... Having a family, Lot has been having opportunity to do ministry the same time that Abraham has. Abraham has been growing in his in, in the character of God. Lot has been doing squat. Y'all can print it that? And the reason I know that is because his kids were not influenced at all. Now your kids are their own, and, and you don't you're not responsible for how they turn out. But when you when you're batting a thousand, something's wrong. And when God says to Lot, now I'm here, go over yonder to, to, the, to the mountains, and Lot says, I, I, I really don't much like mountains, you know? And, and there's a city over there that's got a Walmart. Let me go there instead. I'm saying Lot has not grown in his relationship to the Lord. So the time that, that we have seen pass and Abraham become more like God and grow in his faith, Lot has been just wasting that time. The city's lost, his family's lost. His married daughters, his wife, his unmarried daughters, and his own attitude still stinks. So we get to chapter 20, and this is a familiar story. Abraham's going down south. He's not going to Egypt this time, but he's going down to the south, southern part of, of the territory that's his. He goes down to Gerar. When he gets down there, he meets up with Abimelech. Abimelech is an Egyptian who has moved north. He's what, what became what we call the Philistines. Abimelech was, was the ruler of that, that area, and Abraham knows it. Now, God's given him that, that area, but God or promised it to him, but he hadn't give, turned it over to him yet. And so he wants to make peace with Abimelech. He's already spoken to his wife, Sarah, who is beautiful, even at 90-some years old, and, and desirable. And he says, when we go in here, you tell him that you're my sister. Y'all remember this story? They went down to Egypt. They did this same thing. They were found out. They were nearly ruined. When they left, they were blessed because the Egyptian sent them away just to get them away and paid them to go. But along with that came the maid by whom Ishmael was born. She was Egyptian. 
So now they're going down here and he says, here, this, work, this plan worked so good before, let's do it again. Now here's my question to you. Have you ever done the same stupid thing more than once? Were you thinking, well that turned out so well last time, I'll just do it again? No, you were thinking, but maybe it'll work this time. Because this is, it sounds really safe, and that's what he's seeking. This is where Abraham is messing up, is because he is seeking safety instead of seeking the glory of the Lord. Now, he just spent all his time praying and, and enjoying the presence of the Lord, but the next thing we read about is he goes down and does his same old stuff over and over. Because why? Because he's still in that same old flesh. We need to understand that we are fighting this battle constantly. You have never got it made. We always have to be seeking the Lord. We always have to be, be submitted to Him and working for His glory. And so now God, again, delivers him. He protects Sarah. Abimelech has a dream, and, and God says, You are a dead man because you have somebody else's wife. Abimelech says, That's... Special revelation I had there. And Abimelech had not approached her. And he says, he speaks to the Lord. Lord, will you kill an innocent people? He said that she was his sister. And so the Lord and and Abimelech call Abraham together. And Abimelech speaks for the Lord and says, what have you done? He says, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you? And God is gracious because he tells Abimelech, you don't, you give this woman back and you ask this man to pray for you. Isn't that weird that God would say, I want you to ask this sinner to pray for you. Does that give you hope? Even when you've done the same thing more than once, God still says, I will use you and I will call people to call upon you to be used so he says you, you get Abraham to pray for you and, and everything's going to turn out alright so Abimelech does that and God allows Abraham to pray for him and down in verse 17 and Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children now here's the problem everything seems to have turned out alright God's so gracious that he, he delivers Abraham, he delivers Sarah, he even gives Abraham a chance to continue in ministry. But there's some things lost. Some things lost that he can't get back. Abraham lost his character. See, he was on a roll. He was, he was being more and more like, like Christ. And then he got down here and he said, but I can't really trust God to take care of me, so we've got to come up with another plan. That's stepping away from the character of God that says God is, is supreme, that he's over everything, and he always does what's best. So he lost his character. He lost his testimony. He had an opportunity to go down here and, and dwell among the Abimelech and his people, the Philistines, and show them God, but instead he showed himself to be just like them, or maybe worse, because Abimelech knew that that was wrong. He said, well, I didn't really lie. What I told you was, was kind of a half-truth. It wasn't a, a full-fledged lie. A partial lie is a lie. 
And because of that, he lost his testimony. And so the next time he says, Abimelech, you really need to come to know my Lord. And he says, now which Lord would that be? The one who tells you to lie? Or the one who tells you to pray? John was talking about it in Sunday school this morning. Us living for the glory of God and enjoying God and glorifying Him. And in Ezekiel 36.23, it says, You have shamed me before the people. You've lost your testimony. But I'm still God and I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. He lost his ministry. You know, because what, what was Abraham's ministry? He, he's not a preacher. He's not a healer. He, he, well, what is he? He is somebody who shares the blessing of God. That's his ministry. But you know what happened? When, when this sin was committed, the blessings of God were withheld. That's why he had to pray. Because 17 says that the female slaves and the wives, no one bore any children while Abraham was living there. While he was carrying on this facade, this farce, he brought curse and not blessing. When we who belong to God, we are the people of faith, and we don't live like it, we don't bring blessing, and instead, there's, there's no center point, there's no zero. Instead of bringing blessing, we bring curse. Abraham, father of faith. And so, what happened? Well, we're going to see that Abraham changed. He, like Sarah, repented. He, he like, like, like Sarah, confessed his sin and came back to God. You, you know, there's something that, that, that New Testament believers are always hoping for, we're praying for, we're praying for revival. Wouldn't you love to see a revival in the world? Wouldn't you love to see revival in the United States? Wouldn't you love to see revival in, in Mexico? Wouldn't you love to see revival in this church? Wouldn't, wouldn't revival be something? Well, let me tell you something about revival. Revival is an Old Testament word. You won't find it in the New Testament. But what you will find in the New Testament is the word that brings revival, and that is the word repent. And you find it throughout the New Testament. You find it in the Old Testament too. You find it in Revelation when God talks to the, to the seven churches. To most of them he says, you need to repent. Turn again. That's what Abraham did. And that's how Abraham became useful. And that's how Abraham developed faith to the point where he would offer his only son. And God revived him when he repented. God will revive his work in the church and through the church and in the nations that he has called and blessed when people repent. My people which are called my name, by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. That's repentance. Then from heaven will I hear, forgive their sins and heal their land. What did he do? Well, I know he had to confess his sin. I was wrong. It wasn't a bold-faced lie, but it was a lie. He had to agree with God that it was a lie. He had to agree with Abimelech that it was a lie. And then he, he, he changes his mind. I'm not going to be like that anymore. We're going to see the birth of Isaac. We're going to see his, his, his willingness to, to sacrifice his son. He changes his mind where he's not going the safe route all the time. He's going the way of God. And then he walks by faith. 
The New Testament says that, that he was willing to offer his son believing that God would raise him from the dead. Now, New Testament believer, if you keep doing the same thing over and over, if you come up with new stuff all the time, what we need, if you want to see revival, is you, it needs to start with you. Revival begins in the house of the Lord. And it begins with the people of the Lord repenting. If you have not come into a relationship with the Lord, if you've not trusted yourself to the Lord, to, to Jesus, that, to put your, put, put your trust in what he did on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, he was the only acceptable sacrifice because he was without sin. Anybody else who would have been crucified would have been paying for their own sin, but Jesus didn't have any. So his crucifixion on the cross was to pay for your sin. That's what we celebrate this time of year. And his resurrection that shows that God accepted it. What God requires of you, if you have yet to come into a relationship with him, is to believe what he said, that Jesus is the only Savior, that his death on the cross paid for your sin, and that you can be sinless. You can have righteous righteousness come to you through Jesus Christ. And so you repent. Repent also means to change your mind. You change your mind to say, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to be good enough to endear God to me to saying, Jesus has done it all, and I'm going to put my trust in him. That's repentance. Admit your sin. Repent. Change differently. Confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's an ark. That's repentance. You're going one way and you make an ark and turn around the other way. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the, the honest pictures that you paint for us. That you tell us, and these aren't, these aren't just fairy tales, but these are stories of real people who really sought to please you, who you really called and really used. And you can...